Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, it was a joy to watch from home last week. We, my family and I, we've been quarantined, and uh, uh, and it sounded great online, but it just always sounds uh, so much better in in person. And I'm always just so blessed by by this group and what they're doing. We're so grateful for Jeffrey and uh, all that he just brings to the table when it comes to our worship. Listen, we're going to do two things this morning. We're going to hear from God's word as we look in John's gospel in chapter three, and then we're going to end the service with the Lord's Supper. And the reason why I'm telling you that is I want you to, if you could, you just go ahead and we get to that moment and locate your, uh, your little dinky little plastic cup here. And uh, what, what I want you to do just to sort of practice the, the little tab, uh, it, it pulls back, if I can get mine, and the top layer comes off and just kind of kind of work with it a little bit, and then uh, you'll be ready for when we, we get to that time. At the conclusion of the service, as you guys leave, uh, some of our deacons will be at the exits. We traditionally take up a benevolence offering for our benevolence ministries on the days that we do the Lord's Supper. So they'll be there, uh, and just whatever the Lord puts on your heart, uh, you can give that and know that it'll go to, to help reaching our community. Uh, I'll tell you a little secret. I didn't practice in the first service my, my tearing, and so when it came time for the Lord's Supper, uh, I couldn't get the top part off. And so so I faked them out. We've destroyed the video, but I'm telling you that I fake ate the wafer and I fake drank the juice. Nobody saw, nobody was wiser the otherwise, so don't tell them that I did that. It doesn't count for me, okay? Um, I'm sure somebody noticed and thought, that guy, he's not even taking the elements. I couldn't get the thing off. And so uh, it was just one of those moments. And so that's why we're practicing really well. It's great to have Elizabeth Peterson back home. Uh, she's overseas serving in Romania to have her lead with us. And uh, we're grateful for you and your ministry, and we, we love you and support you, and we're, we're thankful for what you're doing for the kingdom. Uh, let's open up to, to John's Gospel, chapter three. Uh, I'm gonna, our theme today is just simply a theme of, of love. Uh, we sort of walk through different themes in Advent season. Today, it's, it's just talking about love, and so I thought, well, great. Uh, I haven't preached John 3.16 to Travis yet, and so why not go ahead and jump in? But here's the thing about John 3.16. We often quote 16, but we miss 17, and we fail to realize what all's happening leading up to this moment where Jesus gives perhaps one of the most famous and most popular verses that, that we're all mostly very, very well acquainted with. And in the chapter, it starts with this conversation that Jesus begins to have with a guy named Nicodemus, who was a religious teacher. He was well-versed in uh, Old Testament theology and in the scriptures, and he's watching Jesus perform these miracles, and he's hearing about them. He, he sees that Jesus uh, just performed the miracle at the wedding. He sees him go into the temple, and he cleanses, and he makes these really declarative statements. And then Nicodemus starts to engage with Jesus. He gets the opportunity, and he makes this statement in verse 2. He just says, listen, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher. You come from God, for no one can do these things unless you do them, unless God has, has sent you and with him. And then Jesus begins to answer Nicodemus' statement, and he throws Nicodemus in a tailspin. And he uses a phrase that, that we don't typically use today. It was used maybe in the 80s and, and even earlier than that. We use this phrase, being born again. And Jesus says, if you're going to enter into the kingdom, you've got to be born again. Now, Nicodemus, as a teacher and as a ruler, he was looking for the kingdom to come. He cared about the political systems that were in play, and he, and he cared about his, his theology and his, and his doctrine that he had, and everything was pointing towards that. And he wanted to see the kingdom of God come on earth as it was in heaven, though he wouldn't necessarily characterize it in that way. And so Jesus says, listen, Nicodemus, 
If you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. He responds to Jesus in this weird way. He's like, I, I don't understand. What, what are you talking about? Do I have to go back into my mother's womb and, and then come back out? Is, is this what you're referring to? And Jesus says, no, you, you've got to be born of the Spirit. You've got to be baptized by the Spirit in a way to, to be sealed by the Spirit of God. Like, that's what it means to be born again. And I want to pick up in verse 9 after Jesus makes these statements. And in verse 9, it says, Nicodemus said to him, how can this be? Like he, he, he's hearing it, but he doesn't quite understand it and he's not processing it. So Jesus answers him in verse 10, are, are you the teacher of Israel and, and yet you don't understand these things? Almost like saying like, you're a teacher, but yet you don't process this and, and you don't fully understand it. You can, you can sort of sense the, the demeanor in which Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says in verse 11, truly, truly, very, very, I, I say to you, this is truth. We speak of what we know. And we bear witness to what we've seen. But you don't believe. How can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? If I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Basically, he's saying, listen, if you don't understand these basic things, how am I going to explain to you these greater mysteries? Like, you have a long way to go, and really, you're, you're out of, of, of your league for no one, in verse 13 has ascended into heaven except he who descended from it, the Son of Man. Now, Jesus in this moment, he uses this particular phrase, the Son of Man, because he knows he's talking to a Jewish person who understands uh, how these things connect, but for us living today, this might sort of blow past us. And Jesus says the Son of Man was the one who descended from heaven walked away from his, his glory and, 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 and the praise and the worship and, and the unhindered worship and, and he comes in, in the form of a man and indwells us. This is what Philippians 2, 5 and 11 talk about. But what the phrase son of man is referring to is a passage in the book of Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 7, it says this, and this is the dot that Jesus is connecting to Nicodemus. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom of all peoples, nations, and languages that were going to serve him. And so what Jesus is saying is, this son of man that is referred to, that, that comes before the Ancient of Days, this son of man, this Jesus, now, here he is. He's before you, Nicodemus. And yet you're, you're asking me like sort of in a hyperbolic way, like are, are you, you're from God, right? Surely you are because we're seeing these incredible things happen. And then Jesus keeps going. No one's ascended into heaven except he who descended from the heaven, the son of man. And as Moses was lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. What he's referring to is uh, an episode in Numbers chapter 21. And if you remember this story, it's sort of a peculiar one, that the people of God have been freed from Pharaoh. They're no longer in slavery. They're no longer an oppressed people. But they haven't made it to the promised land yet. And so what they begin to do in Numbers 21 is they begin to complain to God and to one another. They complain first about God. They also attack Moses' leadership. 
So they're, they're grumbling that you delivered us from here, but yet you've not fulfilled the promise that you promised us. And so what does the Lord do in Numbers 21? He sends in the Hebrew, it just uses this word in Numbers 21, uh, these fiery serpents. And these aren't like serpents that breathe out fire. What, what it means there in Numbers 21 is he sends poisonous snakes to afflict his people. He deliberately sends poisonous snakes to afflict his people. And so what begins to happen, here they are stuck in the in-between, and they start to get snake bit, and they start to die. God begins to punish the Israelites in Numbers 21 by snakes. He brings judgment on them because they're not walking and, and living in the way and doing the things that God has called, and they're, and they're basically holding God hostage. And so as some begin to die and get sick, what God tells Moses is, listen, I want you to take a, a stick and I want you to fashion a, a serpent on the top of that stick. And any Israelite who gets bit by a snake, if they'll just come and look at the stick and look at the serpent, as you hold it up, they'll be healed. And so in one sense, God brings judgment on the people, but then he brings deliverance on them through Moses by means of this serpent on top. And, and we see this at the end of Numbers 21, uh, about verse 9, he says, the Lord says to Moses, make a snake, put it on a pole, and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. And so Jesus is telling Nicodemus in verse 14, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. In that story in Numbers that Jesus is alluding to, the snakes are, are symbolic of, of just sin. Like we can't get away from, from sin. Like we, we, we are born into it and, and, and here we are. We're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins according to scripture elsewhere. Romans 3.10 says this, Paul tells the church, there is not one person, no one, not one single individual that has ever existed apart from Jesus that is righteous, Romans 3.10. No one is righteous. No one can be right with God. No one can, can go to the Father because of the sin that, that tarnishes that relationship and has drugged that wedge between our Creator and us as humans. Not one single person is righteous. Yet, just as Jesus is saying in verse 14, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man. It's similar to what we see in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, the Son of Man, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So God makes a way through Jesus, like he does with Moses, holding up the serpent, and he, he makes a, a, a way for, for our deliverance and our redemption before him. And so Jesus is telling Nicodemus, look, just like Moses lifted it up, Raise the serpent, the Son of Man has got to be lifted up, and our gaze has to be drawn towards the Son of Man. It has to be drawn towards Jesus and who he is and what he embodied and the sufficiency of his work on the cross. He goes on, and look with me at verse 15. So Moses lifted up, so must the Son of Man, that whoever believes in him could have eternal life. As we fix our gaze on Jesus and call upon his name, we therefore then have eternal life. As we exalt the name of Jesus and, and draw our work and our attention and, and our affections towards it. 
There's a New Testament scholar, he's, he's long past, but he's, his work on the Gospel of John is referenced in, in all the other commentaries that I read this week on John, everybody's talking about C.H. Dodd. He's a prolific New Testament scholar, and, and as he begins to talk about verse 15 here, here's what he says, this, this blew me away, I never knew this. He said, this word belief here in verse 15, it comes from a, a Hebrew word that, that, that there's a derivative of that word that connects belief in the Hebrew to the word amen. Now, when we learn what the word amen is, it's, it's like when somebody prays, we say amen. Why? Because the prayer won't work unless we say amen, right? No, that's not it. it you got to close your eyes for the prayer to work. No, that's not how prayer works. What we do when we say amen, whether it's at the dinner table or at church, when we say amen, we're essentially saying like, let it be. Like, let it be so. Let it, let it happen. I'm attaching my, my thoughts and my affections towards that prayer that I just heard. And I'm saying, amen, let it be. Let's, let, let it be your will, God. Let it be so on, on, this, on this earth. So what C.H. Dodd connects for us here that's so helpful and, and life-giving, he says, listen, you could almost read it like this, that whoever attaches his amen to Jesus will have eternal life. Whoever affirms and holds on to it and, and believes and, and says, let it be so, amen, let me attach myself to him. Listen, we as evangelicals use a phrase, we say, having a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, technically, that phrase is nowhere found in the Bible. And there's guys that'll get all hot and heavy about it, like, you shouldn't use that, it's not, but here's the deal. Though it's not explicitly stated in scripture, there are, there are numerous instances when we study words like believe, and attaching them to amen and letting it be because the only way that happens is if there's this relationship that then exists that I'm not just intellectually assenting to the fact, but I'm attaching my life to the calling and the teaching and the words. I'm attaching myself at really as he attaches to me that I'm saying my life is no longer mine. I'm in relationship with you, Jesus. Where you tell me to go, I'll go. Where, what you tell me to say, I'll say. How, how I should think is informed by how you tell me to think. That's a relationship, so let it be. Amen, believe, believe you may have eternal life. <coughs> Excuse me. But belief has been described by, by others as, as involving three things, and just very quickly, it's, these three things are this. Belief is knowledge, assent, and commitment. What this means is, is that first, I have to have the knowledge that Jesus saves. How can, I, how can I call upon the name of the Lord if I've never heard his name? So I have to have some kind of factual information that exists there. And then to assent to it means that, that intellectually I would say, I, I choose to believe it. Like make me believe, I, I believe it. So I, I hear the fact and then I go, it's true. I may not understand everything about it or have all of my questions answered, but, but to the, the degree to which I have faith and hope in it, like my assent is there, and then comes the commitment to it. I'm gonna live like this thing is, is true, this idea is true, that Jesus has really saved me from my sins and, and I've been bought with a, with a price, a ransom, and, and now my life is no longer my own. And I'm gonna allow him to send me where he wants me to go because of the belief. But in order to, to understand that and to really grasp that, whoever believes in him has eternal life. It's belief, listen, not in your systems. It's belief not in your doctrine. 
It's not belief in your theology. It is belief in Jesus that I cannot come to the Father. Nicodemus, you can't have the kingdom of God apart from the Son of God. And you've got to deal with, with that sin that, that, that rests with inside your, your heart, and you've got to reconcile those things. It's, it's sort of like, uh, do I have any, any cat people that are here that, that are not ashamed to admit it? All right, Garrett, you're a cat person? Come on, bro. Okay. Listen, I've, I've had cats before. They don't typically live very long in my house uh, for a variety of reasons. Remind me to tell you about the cat one time that fell into a cooler while we were gone for a week and a half and never got out. It was awesome. All right. Yeah, he died, and uh, we had a cat funeral. Uh, cats just don't live very long in my house. But we had cats when we lived in Midlothian because where we lived, there was a creek that ran by it, and, and we had snakes that would come up. We, we would see field mice. Uh, it was just a natural part of sort of living out in the country. And this lady has, has bought this cat, and, and what the cat did, really good cats, they'll sleep during the day, and then they hunt at night. You let them outside, they're roaming around, they're looking for snakes, possums, mice, whatever they can find. And so this lady lets her cat go out at night, he comes back and he catches a mouse. And there he is, he's standing at the door as she opens the door up and and the cat's got a mouse in her mouth. And what do you think that, that cat owner did? Good job, come on in here, right? No. She freaks out. I can't believe he actually got one for, for that matter, but get the thing out of your mouth. Gross. Like you, you want to come in here, you've got to shed the thing that's sticking out of your mouth. You've got to let it go. In a really silly way, like that's really what Jesus is, is talking about. Some of you have some, some mice in your mouth and you need to let it go, right? What I mean by that is that in order for us to enter into the kingdom, what Jesus is saying is that he has got to be lifted up and belief has to happen. And you believe in him, shed uh, your, your own beliefs, uh, allow him to, to handle and to deal with your sin, then you will have eternal life. And then comes verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. One of the things that I, I love to do with this, with this passage, because it's so familiar to us at times, is to look at the action that God shows, that, that he, he so loved the world, he loved it so much that he gave something up for it. And that, that action is, is rooted in what we would just call an attribute of God. We would say God is not an aspect of love, God doesn't have a piece of love in him. He's not loving sometimes, but no, God is love is the way the Bible describes him. And that idea of love is, is intertwined with every single other attribute that God has. So when we take his immutability, which means he never changes, he's immutable. God doesn't change. His immutability is interconnected to the fact that he's a loving God that doesn't need to change. God is a holy, is he not? He's not sometimes holy or partially holy, but that holiness is intertwined with his immutability, but it's also intertwined with his love. His wrath, we, we say God is, 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 is wrath. He, he shows wrath. He, he put his wrath on his son on the cross. That, that wrath is because he so loved the world. It's intertwined and connected with these attributes. 
And so it's not just simply enough to say, well, God is just love. Well, no, God is love, but he's also all of these other things equally at the same time, interwoven with one another and intertwined with one another. I think Ephesians 2 helps us understand what John is describing here. Jesus is saying that John's writing for us. In Ephesians 2, 4, 5, listen to this. He says, God, this is Paul talking, being rich in mercy. Why? Because of his great love with which he loved us. So there you have God's mercy intertwined and interconnected with him loving, oftentimes very unlovely people that treat him in contempt. Or we can go to Romans 8 and talking about the love of God where he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall, shall tribulation or, or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but I think some of you do. I needed to hear it this week when I came across that and read that. Who's in the midst of, of a COVID infection? Who's in the midst of, of high levels of, of anxiety? Who, who's, who's walking in, in low levels of, of despair that have just consumed them? Job's not going the way you, you want it to go. Relationships are falling apart. Or, or maybe you're just having that midlife crisis, like I'm not where I needed to be or I thought I was gonna be at this age. And what am I doing? And, and your, your wheels are just spinning. Friend, can I just encourage us in this moment just to rest in this promise given by Paul to the church, nothing, no despair, no anxiety, no depression, no, uh, no substance, no person, no pandemic, none of those things will separate us from the love of Christ. He loves us. Like he, lo he really, he loves us. And that's amazing for me to think about that the creator of the world who spoke things into existence from nothing, he loves us. And there's nothing you can do or I can do or your friend can do or your spouse can do or your child can do or your coworker can do or your, your wayward uncle can do. Nothing they can do to separate you from the love of God. Jesus goes on in verse 17 and he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So friends, I think if there's one word from the Lord today that I want you to hear besides God loves you, it's this. The world already sits condemned. The world is in condemnation. What the world does not need, my brothers and sisters, my dear sweet friends, is for us to magnify that condemnation to those that don't know him. To point out their own faults and to yell at them in all capital letters on Facebook and Twitter and in emails. To send passive aggressive memes online. It, it doesn't need us to condemn it. Why? It already sits condemned. And our message of, of love, our, our gospel message is a message of not condemnation, but of good news. Our message is, is one of, of hope, not despair. 
Our message is, is not one of, uh, of shame, but it's one that seeks to build up and to bring others up with us along as we go and to carry them if we may and if we need. So many of us have, have gotten off, I think, in this season of, of, of COVID and, and political cycles. Uh, I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about your neighbor, of course. But like, we've just missed the mark on this. And, 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 and we, we, we look online and we see that everybody's mad at everybody and everybody's yelling at, at somebody else. I mean, Southern Baptist Twitter this week was an absolute nightmare. It was a disaster on so many levels. Politics are, are a disaster on, on so many different levels with what everyone's saying and this side's condemning this side and this side and on and on, whatever the reason is. Friend, can I gently remind us that our mission is one to convey the hope of the gospel. Why? Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world and God did not send you into the world to condemn the world but rather to send you to live on mission for him with the good news of Jesus that he is saving those who will come to him. That's our mission. For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son. I want to end and I want to go back to that scene in Numbers 21. So I think there's more there for us to see. These Israelites were bitten by these fiery, uh, venomous serpents. And they tried to do all they could to eradicate the venom, but until God provided the, 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 the snake on the, on the pole, and, and until God provided the way, they, they were useless in trying to remove the venom from them, just like we are useless when we try to remove our own sin-stained hearts. When we try to fix things apart from the Spirit of God and, and being cleansed and washed by His blood, we, we end up in these postures of, of hopelessness and despair when we try to fix things and labor in things in and of our own strength. And sometimes the best times are just when all we've got left is God, right? So not too terribly long ago, um, I started feeling bad came on me pretty quick, so I called uh, a medical office close to where I was, and I want to get a, need to get a COVID test. Here's my symptoms. Pull up. She's like, you know, I want the rapid test, and I want to do the lab, and she said, you want to do the strep? And I'm like, sure, let's just do all three, and let's just see what's going on. She said, I got to swab your nose uh, three times, and I was like, that's fine. That didn't seem like a big deal. But she didn't tell me she was going to stick it up through my brain and like scrub the top of my head with it. At one point, she was like, sir, can you stop clenching so hard? I was like, can you get that out of my nose? This hurts. Eyes are watering. Like, I puffed up. It was all red. Like, I was crying. Like, I, I marcoed my wife and was like, I'm crying. This hurt, man. This is bad. Don't get the test. You know? <laughs> she goes in, reads my results, comes back out 15 minutes later. She says, Mr. Erickson, you're positive for COVID-19. It's okay. I thought I was. So what do I do? She goes, nothing. So what do you mean? It's a virus. Can't do anything about it. What am I supposed to do? Go take some ibuprofen and sweat it off. And I was like, sister, like, that's what you're telling me? She said, yeah, we can't do anything about it. Go with God. 
Okay, it's all I got, apparently. I got a Haley at home. She'll help me, I think, you know. It's awful. You go through that process and, and come out on the end, and, and we're, we're thankful for it, that, that it was minimal. And as it moved through my home with, with everybody there, and uh, we're, we're grateful for it. But I thought, that's, that's the word. Like, go with God. That's all you got. I mean, what else can we do, right? But it's not the minimum is just go with God. Like, it's not just that's all I have. It's rather he's all I need. In essence, spiritually speaking, that, that's all I need. I need God in my life, and I need to have that priority right. And I need to be consumed and overwhelmed with the fact that God, God tells me in his word, he, he loves me. And, and friend, he loves you too. He knows all the terrible things you've done in your life. He knows your deep secrets. He knows your lies. He knows your dishonesty. He knows where you've been deceitful. He knows your faults. He knows all those things, and yet... He still looks at you and he goes, I love you. Like, you're redeemed. You're mine. You're in my family. Like, you have a bad dad, I'll, I'll, I'll be a great father to you. You're walking in despair this Christmas season. You're missing loved ones. Like, let me, let me come next to you and, and be with you and be what that person was. Like, let me take my rightful place in, in your life and, and just be reminded, I, I love you. My only hope today is that we just as a people would just rest in, in that truth, that God, God loves us. He loves this church. He's not forsaken this church. He's here. He's here every week. I, I, we, we loved watching last week from home, but I'm like, I can't, I just, as Sunday got closer and I got out of quarantine on Friday, I was like, I can't wait to be back in church with my people. It's good. The Lord is here and he's doing some things, even though things look a lot different and things are a little weird but it's okay. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that in Christ you've, you've given us hope and you've given us a posture of dependence upon you and we pray that we would just lean into that. We pray for those that are perhaps struggling today, just wherever they are, mentally, spiritually, that you would just breathe fresh wind, fresh fire into their, their life through your spirit. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that, that doesn't know you, that's not saved, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray they would confess with their mouths that you're Lord and, and believe in their hearts that you raised him up on the third day. So Father, would you be with us in this time as we partake of the Lord's Supper, as you promise us your presence and God's people said, amen. So I'd like to start backwards and remind us of a couple things. In verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11, he says this, Paul, <clears throat> when you take the Lord's Supper, he says, as often as you do this, eat this bread, drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what that means is like you, you're preaching to one another by taking the Lord's Supper. You're preaching to each other, hey, we're, we're family, we're together in this. I believe what you believe. I have the same goal, same mission, same vision for my life to make Jesus known amongst the nations, amongst the city here in this church. Like we're all same team and it's meant to bring us together. But before we get to that, we've got to have a little bit of time of introspection. That's what the Lord's Supper is about. We, we need to deal with our sin. The Bible says don't take it in an unworthy manner, which just means, look, if you're uh, not a believer, you don't know Christ, don't, don't take it. We're not trying to exclude you or make you feel bad. Just the Bible says it's for believers. 
Or if you're, if you're caught up in like sin, like you know it, you're not right with the Lord. You, you need to be right with the Lord before you take this. So don't take it in an unworthy manner. It means I've confessed and I've received his forgiveness for whatever that is. And, I, and I'm, I'm okay enough. I'm walking with God, trusting God, and I, and I partake in it. So here's what I want you to do. We won't take long on this because you know whether or not you're right or not. I want you to just bow your heads and I want you to just say, Lord, just, I want to be right with you. Say, Lord, would you, would you bring to mind anything I need to confess? If I'm not right with, with someone relationally, Lord, uh, if I can reconcile that now uh, in my heart, help me do that, but help me take the necessary steps after this, Lord, just, just help me. And confess your sins to him. So you, you take it in the, in the most worthy manner, just, just right with God, right, right before him. After you do that, I'm going to ask you to take the little wafer off your cup. Go ahead and get it handy without spilling your juice. The Bible says this. He says, and when he had given thanks, this the night before he was betrayed, it says he, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. goes on and he continues to speak to his disciples in verse 25 and he says in the same way he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me and God's people said